Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 26, Remakes, Reboots, and Reimaginings. <laughs> Chris McBride here, along with Yancey Eaton, as always, it's Pop Goes Your World. Yancey, how are you, my friend? How's sunny South Florida treating you these days? Uh, sunny South Florida treat me really good. The weather has been absolutely fantastic. It's been like low 70s for like the last two days. Um, it's just, it's beautiful. It's paradise here. What is the uh, the weather like in uh, wherever you live in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> you know so much about Canada. I'm saying you so in Barry. Yeah. What's the weather like in Barry, Ontario? Uh, this this morning, I gave a lecture from eight to eleven on campus, and the snow was coming down sideways. And I had a guest speaker come in for the second hour, and he was late because it was just so. Oh, the weather was terrible. So yeah, so you know, screw you. Yeah, anyway, it is. Anyway, uh, listen, we got another guest this week, and our guest this week is actually Derek Myers. Now you're going to find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. Uh, in addition to his love of role playing games such as D and D. Yancey, he shares our admiration of movies and music, especially for, for him for the 80s and 90s, unlike me, who likes the 70s and 80s, of course. Mm -hmm. um, he worked at Blockbuster Video from 1996 to 1999, and he claims to have watched over 2,000 movies during that time. Ladies and gentlemen, it's actually Derek's second time here on the podcast, because I interviewed Derek uh, from Fan Expo 2016 when I was visiting our, the RPG section. Derek, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Yancey. I'm so excited to be here today. I can't wait to dive into these lists. I'm just, I'm burning with excitement. Oh, it's going to be a great show. I should mention quickly, by the way, so Derek and I, geez, we probably know each other about 14 years now. Um, so we've been good friends for a while. Um, I should mention, you know, we won't bring it up too much in the show, but but Derek has a, a nickname that we always give him, which is Caveman. And Yancey, you, any guess why his nickname is Caveman? Um, I don't know. No guess. Uh, it's because he... No, I'm just totally kidding. And that's the, <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. We just always call him Caveman. It's kind of a cool. Name. Anyway, you guys ready to get started? We got a great show. We're going to be getting into lots and lots of discussions. So, are you ready to get started? Absolutely. Okay, here we go. I don't want to get a whole bunch of hate mail and stuff. I think Jaws is one of the greatest movies ever made. Have you seen it, Chris? It was awesome. And I literally lost it. Night of the Living Dead. That movie literally terrified me. People were running out of the theater. Wait, what? See, I'm young, I'm hip, and I speak the language of the streets. Yes, word. Okay, so we are going to be going from five to one in reverse order like we normally do, and we're going to alternate between us. Um, and like I would say, we're looking for remakes, but also, you know, reboots, reimaginings. They're perfectly fine here, too. So we're, I think we should you know, defer to our guest here, Yancey. So, Derek, you want to kick us off? What is your number five remake, reboot, or reimagining of all time and why? All right. So my number five yes. is The Birdcage from 1996. Directed by Mike Nichols oh, yes. and starring Robin Williams, Nathan Lane, Gene Hackman. Remake Hank of Lacazza Falls, yeah. Yeah, this, this is a great movie. It's a remake of the 1978 film La Cage aux Faux. Uh, the original is obviously a French film, uh, which is part of the reason they remade it. They wanted it in English for an American audience, and this is fantastic. This is Robin Williams at his best. It's got so many great 
funny moments, quotable lines. Uh, I mentioned Hank Azaria's in it. He's got a very small part, but every single time he's on the screen, he steals the scene. This movie for me is one of those ones where if it happens to be on TV, I stop what I'm doing and I watch the end of it. I love this movie. It's my number five. Oh, that's a good one. I like it. And you're right. Uh, Hank Azaria's a scene, a scene stealer and every scene he's in in that movie for sure. Yancey, what have you got for number five remake of all time? Um, let me just preface this by saying this was actually probably one of the most difficult shows I've had to prep for. Really? Um, I didn't realize how little I know about movies until I tried <laughs> to make my favorite remakes. <laughs> until he comes like, up I, against me and Caveman. Then he realized how little he knows me. Yeah, seriously. Like, I really struggled with this. And, and uh, Caveman and I were talking right before we started recording, Chris, about how I don't want to include movies in this list that I actually have not seen. So you're going to hear, like, probably some movies that won't make your list, but... I had to have seen them in order for me to include them in this list. So, oh, I think that's great. I think that's great. Yeah, so so number five for me came out in 2007. It is a remake of a 1957 film of the same name. Uh, I graduated high school in 2007. I remember watching this film in theaters with my dad, which is kind of unusual because my dad doesn't really like to go to the movies. In the last 20 years, he's seen The Lion King, Avatar, and this movie, which is 310 to Yuma. Um, Ooh, that's he a remembers good one. watching that's this film. Yeah, 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 I guess he, it, it had been out for probably 10 years whenever uh, – you know, he first saw it um, as a kid, uh, but it was one of his favorites. He's always loved Westerns and stuff. And, you know, we went and seen this together. Obviously, it stars Russell Crowe, Christian Bale, and uh, the massively underrated Alan Tudyk, who, if you guys remember, he is the droid. He's K2SO yep. mm-hmm. on Rogue One. He's starting to, like, make multiple shows in a row, which is, like, really weird because he's kind of a semi-obscure actor. Um, but this is just, like, a, a, a fantastic, fantastic kind of, like, new Western um you know, like some of the Westerns back in the old days, they, they kind of had like a tendency to be really, really simple as far as like plot and, you know, just character development stuff. But this is completely different. Like these characters are super complex. The acting is absolutely incredible. All of the, the, the supporting cast of Peter Fonda and Gretchen Mull and Ben Foster is just incredible. It's I'm not a huge fan of the Western genre, but this just works so well. It's one of the best movies ever. I actually ended up going back and watching the original, which is also pretty good. But oh, good. Uh, the original 2000, or I'm sorry, the remake of 2007 is actually really, really good. So that's my number five. Very good. Okay. So for me, my number five, back in 1960, there's a little known actor by the name of Jack Nicholson, and he appeared in a Roger Corman B-movie, and he played a patient at a dentist's office that loves pain. And the movie was The Little Shop of Horrors. And it was remade in 1986 by director Frank Oz. And up until then, Frank Oz was probably just best known as a puppeteer. You know, he did characters like Yoda and, you know, Grover, Cookie Monster, Bert, you know, Miss Piggy, that kind of stuff. And now, he did direct two other films before this one because he directed, he co-directed The Dark Crystal and then he directed The Muppets Take Manhattan. But this was sort of his first movie directing, you know, a cast of entirely made up of human actors, right? I really like this movie a lot. Like I said, it's a musical. Uh, some of the numbers in it are so over the top. It's crazy. Like there's Skid Row and, and, and somewhere that's green. And, and of course, who can forget Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. But I think my favorite musical number in the movie is when Steve Martin comes in and he's on his motorcycle and he just blows into the office. He's like, you'll be a dentist. <laughs> uh, every couple years, musicals seem to make a comeback. Like there was Chicago in 2002 and then La La Land in 2016. But I've always kind of liked the musicals that look like they've come right off the stage, like like the whole musical theater vibe to them. And Little Shop of Horrors fits the bill to a T. So it's my number five. What's your number four there, Derek? Nice. But let me just say, Little Shop of Horrors is one of those movies, like Yancey said a minute ago, I've never seen it in its entirety from start to finish. So I didn't feel it was right to put it on my list, but it definitely made my short list. Yeah, it's, it's good. 
Yeah. All right. My number four is the 1996 remake of The Fly, directed Ooh, by David Cronenberg. Yeah, that's a uh, starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. The original was from 1958, black and white, starring Vincent Price. Uh, the uh, the premise here for I'm I'm hoping that uh, people are familiar with this one. In the original one. Uh, the scientist ends up transpositioning his head and his arm with a, a house fly, and so it's this guy in this goofy makeup, and and uh, you go from there. In the 1986, they used uh, the improved technology. They used great makeup techniques. Uh, they actually were nominated for an Oscar for Best Makeup for this, and Jeff Goldblum's character is a scientist who creates a teleportation device, and it becomes a gene splicer, and his DNA merges with the fly, and through the course of the movie, he transforms from the man into the well the man fly if you will and it is this combination of science fiction horror thriller it's just great it's typical cronenberg and great performances it is my number four and i love it oh that's a good one it is better than the original for sure okay number four yancy what do you got um that is a really interesting premise for a movie and actually like you describing makes me kind of want to see it um, anyways, and Chris, you mentioned Muppets. Mm-hmm. This is also like a random aside. All the Muppet movies that I've ever seen are very good, like vastly underrated movies. Mm-hmm. Even like the most recent one that came out with Amy Adams is very, very good. Yeah, it's not yeah. bad. It's good. The, the, Muppets, the Muppets are great. And even if you go back and watch Sesame Street and stuff, like Cookie Monster is probably one of my favorite characters of all time. He's just this walking id who just – I just love that character. I love what Frank Oz does with that character. It's And if you have only remember Cookie Monster from being a kid, go back and watch it. Or, or find things on YouTube and stuff like that and watch it. You'd be surprised at what's going on with that character. I love that character. But that's, you know, totally aside. Anyway. We should do a show just in Sesame Street. We I'm should. not joking. I, should, I agree. PBS shows. I agree. I'm on. Yep. All right. Uh, my next film is a 2000 American horror film directed by Zack Snyder. And this was his, his directorial debut. Um, it remakes a movie. I think it was back in the 70s. I can't remember the exact. Where's my notes? 1978. It's a film of the same name. And it's Dawn of the Dead. Um, my group of friends in high school, we were all obsessed with this movie. I wasn't really huge into like the whole zombie genre, but you know, it's, it's weird how like osmosis works where like your friends like stuff. So like by default, you kind of start liking it just like I didn't like Chappelle show. And so I started watching it with my friends and all of a sudden it was like the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Um, so Dawn of the Dead, it's about a fictitious city in uh, Wisconsin called Everett. And obviously they're overtaken by zombies and they're basically camped out inside a shopping mall. And, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, stuff that ensues. As you can imagine, there's lots of zombies. The best part about this movie is the end and how it ends with, you know, the soundtrack and, you know, Disturbed playing Down with the Sickness, which I saw Disturbed live at a concert. And it was, I don't know, this there's like a lot of like teen angst that's like built into this movie, which is like, you know, nostalgia overload. But uh, it's just a really weird, cool movie. And like, you know, Chris, we talked about this in a, in a past episode. I can't remember which one, but, you know, Dawn of the Dead is like one of those ones where like, you know, there are zombies that are kind of badasses. You know what I mean? They're not like these slow, just like, you know, slowly trotting along kind of things. Like these are, you know, these are zombies that are capable of doing something. And I just think it's like the perfect, you know, zombie movie. It's the perfect summer movie. It's the perfect, you know, teens going out, like, like all their friends, like a group of friends going and seeing this movie together. So it's, that's my favorite uh probably like the last 10 to 15 years as a zombie movie. So Dawn of the Dead is my number four. Yeah, the thing that struck me about that, the remake of that movie was that I remember the zombies move really, really fast. They run yep. and stuff, whereas in yep. the original, they didn't. And the original, you know, George A. Romero is obviously, you know, sequel to Night of the Living Dead, uh, part of his trilogy, right? His zombie trilogy. Um, the mm-hmm. thing the thing about the original was it seemed to be more of like sort of a, cons- like it was almost like a political movie, like about consumerism, stuff like that with undertones. Um, but 
I don't know. I guess I could argue either way which one was better, but I think it's I think it's great that made your list. Okay, my number four, I'm going to fudge on this one a little bit, guys. I got to tell you, because it's not a direct remake, I guess, per se, but it's it kind of is because it's based on another film. Okay, so that's Throw Mama from the Train from 1987. It's, nice. It's basically a remake of sorts, and you know what I'm saying about it here, Caveman, of Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train from 1951 with Farley yep. Granger and Robert Walker. But in Throw Mama from the Train, Billy Crystal, if you haven't seen it, uh, Jens, it, it's, it's, it, he's a writer. Billy Crystal's a writer and his wife basically steals his book right and makes a fortune off of it so he's like really resentful toward her and then along comes Danny DeVito and he's like this simple little guy that lives with his mother and he wants to kill his mother so DeVito suggests that he will kill Billy Crystal's ex-wife and Crystal in return will then murder DeVito's mother because they'll each get the person that they hate out of their life and they'll you know never be suspected of each other's murder right because they're strangers and I know it sounds crazy, but it's actually a really, really good movie, and it's it's a personal favorite of mine and has been for years. I absolutely love Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. I think it's his second best film right after 1960 Psycho, and I like the way it was incorporated into this movie. So for me, my number four, Throw Mama from the Train. Nice. I remember seeing Throw Mama from the Train in the theater and laughing myself silly. It has a it's a, there's a lot of humor in that movie. My I think my so is one it of a my, comedy? It's kind of a it's kind of a comedy, yes. And one of my favorite parts, not to give away but the ending, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it, but at the end, then Billy Crystal decides he's gonna write a book on his experience, and then he finds out that Danny DeVito wrote a book as well. And he just freaks and he starts choking him and cho- and then and then Danny DeVito's like, No, 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 look at the book, and it's like a, a children's pop up book. And it's just I, I don't know, there's something just so I don't know. There's still so much heart in that movie at the end of it all, even though it's about murder. It seems crazy. You have to see it to really get it. But anyway, number three, Derek, what do you got? Right. Uh, Number three. Uh, My number three. Okay. I was a little worried about putting this on my list because I thought Yancey might have it on his list, but I said, screw it. I got to put it on the list. My number three is Rise of the Planet of the Apes from 2011, Hmm. which is the remake of the Charlton Heston classic from 1968 of the same name, Planet of the Apes. Yes. The original is outstanding in its own right it for is. i mean for when it came out and the makeup of these these eight people and the the you know just the message of the movie yep. it was great and charlton heston i'm a big fan of his work he was great uh, i mean it the, the the movie was direct the original was directed by the same guy who did Patton and papillon so i mean it is solid a material start to finish the original they tried to remake it tim burton did a remake that was Let's say not great. A misfire. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good way to describe it. It had its moments, mm-hmm. but it was certainly not going to take off like they wanted it to. 2011, they sort of rebooted this. They decided to to bring back Planet of the Apes. Technology had improved to a point now where instead of having people in silly makeup, you have Andy Serkis who pioneered the motion capture stuff with Gollum and Lord of the Rings, now playing um, Caesar the ape, and. Uh, you got James Franco and John Lithgow are in this as well. So again, you've got some big names, and it is a reimagining of Planet of the Apes in today, with today's world, today's technology, today's society, using all the special effects of today to make these apes look realistic. And they present the story in a way that you're like, yeah, then maybe that really could happen. Um, and it's it's a very strong film, start to finish. They've they've put out, I believe, two sequels or one sequel and one more on the way. Uh, it's a franchise that's building, and uh, they're all fun. But this 2011 Rise of the Planet of the Apes, this reboot, was 
uh, in my mind, an exceptional. It was, in, in for my opinion, it was just as good as the original for a lot of different reasons, but I would score them both really high. So that's my number three, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Well, you know my role around here. I'm such a stickler for like the past and I'm so nostalgic. There's something for me about Roddy McDowell in the makeup and I, I don't know. I just, I like the original. That's just my thing. Uh, okay, yeah, see, number three, what do you got? Shocker, Chris likes the older one better. <laughs> Dude, Surprise. Who would have thought that? Yeah. <laughs> All right, what number are we on? Number three. Uh, number three. What's your number three? Uh, All right, I'm going to read you guys the IMDb, uh, the uh, byline for this, basically. Let me see okay. if you guys can guess what this sure. movie is, okay? Yeah. It's a remix. It came out in 2002, and it says, Two Los Angeles homicide detectives are dispatched to a northern town where the sun does not set to investigate the methodical Insomnia. murder of a local teen. Oh, Insomnia? Insomnia. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Nice. Insomnia, yeah. Directed by Christopher Nolan, who we talk about every single show. And, uh, you know, if there's one one actor that we've kind of underrepresented in the show so far, Chris, I think it's Robin Williams. And this will be the second movie that we've mentioned that he's in in this show, which is pretty awesome. Um, so, Insomnia, just like it says, it's basically like a, a suspense, you know, drama mystery thr- thriller type of thing where local teen, a 17-year-old girl, is brutally murdered, and uh, this detective Al Pacino's character has to go and find out what happened to him. And basically, Robin Williams, who is a fiction writer, I believe, like he writes like you know like suspense novels and stuff. He, the only clue that they have is that he goes up to Al Pacino's character and basically says, "I killed her." And you know, there's all kinds of like head games that ensue with this, and um, there's like these really weird themes that are thrown at you as as far as like you know that this is really a town where the sun doesn't set just because of the location geographically, and you know the main character. Al Pacino, I keep forgetting his name, um, but the main character, you know, has insomnia problems. So, like, there's all types of, you know, play-ins regarding that about, like, his perception and him not being able to sleep. And um, I haven't seen the original. I I probably should have before I, you know, mention this in my list or whatever. But I think this is just, like, a perfect film. It's one of Christopher Nolan's kind of underrated, like, forgotten movies, I think. Um, you know, all of the the... No, the Batman movies and Inception and Interstellar, they get all the love, but this is like a forgotten classic that I'm just absolutely in love with. Um, I mean, I could keep talking about it, but uh, uh, yeah. So the original was actually a Norwegian thriller from 1997, I think. Yeah, so like you guys were talking about, a lot of times these remakes, they're basically just like an adaptation in a different language. You know, sometimes subtitles just don't work, like in order for dialogue to make sense and for, you know, people to be captivated, you have to remake it in a different language. So that's kind of what this was. But um, from all of the reviews and stuff that I read online, this is a better version of that same movie, which we don't often see with remakes. So I just think it's a perfect film. So Insomnia for me uh, from 2002 is my number three. Nice. Okay, my number three. Bear with me, guys. The Lord of the Rings trilogy from 2001 to 2003. It's not so much because this trilogy is so ambitious and it's so, so really, really good, which it totally is, but more so, this is on my list because the movies that it remade or the movie it remade was so bad. Okay, so here's the thing. When I was a kid, my grandparents had a Laserdisc player at the cottage. And actually, it wasn't even a Laserdisc. It was one of those RCA video disc players. This is before both your times, I'm sure. No, no, I know exactly what Oh, you know what I mean? Okay, so Yancey, Google oh, yeah. Google this. But anyway, RCA video disc player. But anyway, um, so because unlike other kids who like to play outside, you know, go to the beach and stuff like that, I was like totally obsessed with movies and TV. So I'd spend my time at my parents' grandparents cottage watching the video desk player and they had this lord of the rings movie and it was one of the worst movies ever made it came out in 1978 it was made by ralph bakshi who up until that point was probably best known for fritz the cat right uh it was a 
an X-rated cartoon movie that he had done. And this movie, it only covers the Fellowship of the Ring and like half of the two towers. And they never made a sequel to cover the rest of the of the book trilogy because it was just so bad. <laughs> and, and the animation's all crappy too. Like what they do is they use this process called rotoscoping. rotoscoping. Yeah, and, and they basically shoot live action scenes and then they like paint over them and make it look like animation. It really sucked I mean, <laughs> needless to say, Lord of the Rings trilogy by Peter Jackson was great, and it was made even better by the fact that it was a remake of this show. So that's my number three. Okay, nice. uh, on to your number two, there, Derek. What do you got? All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise the bar considerably then Good. after that. Uh, and and so look at this. We've mentioned Robin Williams twice, and now we've mentioned movies with Andy Serkis twice. So I, I think we're, uh, we're we're trending in the right direction here. Yes. All right. My number two. Let me read you the cast, Chris. Okay. Yancey, no offense. I don't think you're going to get this one. This I'm is also, really a question. I'm also on the show, by the way. I'm also here. Sorry. So. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Chris, I'm going to read you the cast. When you think you know the answer to this remake, call it out. Okay. George C. Scott. Okay. James Gandolfini. Courtney B. Vance. Edward James Almos. Michael T. Williamson, who played Bubba Gump in Forrest Gump. Tony Danza. William Peterson from CSI. And Jack Lemon. Oh my Come good on, Chris. God! Don't don't let him do this to us. Oh man, with Tony Dan's in it too. Anything? Any guesses? Um, Come on, Chris. Oh my goodness! I don't I, let him come on our show and do this. To <laughs> <us>. <laughs> um, was it? Oh wait a minute! Is it no, a baseball? You got is, it. Is it a baseball movie? No, it's not a baseball. Oh okay, movie. no, You're okay. Way off. okay, no, okay. I have no idea. So I'll, I'll, I was thinking Angels in the Outfield. I don't know why. No, but. it is Twelve Angry Men. Oh, when would, when did they remake that? Twelve Angry Men. The remake came out in 1997. Was was it was it a feature release? It was sort of a cheat. It was for HBO. Ah, oh, it's a TV movie. I don't know if that counts. It makes it. Oh, uh, the original oh. Twelve Angry Men came out in 1957, starring right. Henry Fonda. This one from 1997 has this huge cast. I read you uh, seven or eight of the twelve. Uh, it was nominated and won a whole bunch of Golden Globes. It is fantastic. The movie itself is fantastic. Both of them. I mean, they're they're pretty the much. The original is really good. Yeah. Yeah. They use, the both movies use almost the identical script. And for anyone who hasn't seen this movie, you got to pick up either version of them, the original or the remake. Uh, the concept is that at the in the very first, uh, the very beginning of the movie, you find out it's a jury. They've just watched a murder trial, and the judge basically says, "Go deliberate," and that's how the movie begins. And then. The two-hour movie is these 12, in this case, angry men, 12 men in the jury room in the one scene for two hours talking about this this trial. And, of course, at the beginning, they all walk in and go, well, the guy's clearly guilty. We'll be out of here in five minutes. And the main character in this version played by Jack Lemmon, when they take the first vote, he's the only one who says not guilty. And he says, he goes – it's not that I necessarily think he's not guilty. It's that I think we we deserve we owe this guy the credit of reviewing the facts and asking questions. And through the course of the movie, the other jurors start to change their mind as things start to happen. And you, it's it's an exceptional character study. Uh, George C. Scott won a Best Supporting Actor Golden Globe. Jack Lemmon was nominated and lost to Ving Rhames, but Ving Rhames called him up on stage and gave it to him because he felt his performance was so good. He literally gave his Golden Globe to the guy who didn't win it because he felt he should have won it. 12 Angry Men's my number two. If you haven't seen it, I strongly encourage you to check it out. Oh, very good. Okay, Yancey, what do you got? Uh, for this one, we've talked about this in our horror movie, so I'm 
not going to go too in depth with it, but it's uh, the it's a 2010 remake of a 2007 movie from uh, a Norwegian film. So basically, like we were talking about before, just a different version uh, in a different language. But it's let the right one in. Um, it's it's a Swedish horror film, not Norwegian. I don't know why I said Norwegian. Um, it's a Swedish horror film. I don't know, Derek. Have you seen this film? Let the yes, right I one. Yes, I have. I've it seen is, both of them. It is fantastic. They're both fantastic. The newer one uh, with Chloe Grace Moretz, it's 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 pretty good. I'm not going to you know besmirch its name. It's a very good film. The one from 2008 though is an absolute classic. I've probably watched it ten times. Um, essentially, it's about like a boy who's picked on really bad at school, and he befriends this girl who's kind of you know like this weird you know girl or whatever. But she ends up being a vampire. And it the, the the last scene or like the next to last scene in this film is one of, literally one of the greatest most haunting film sequences I've ever seen in my entire life. Where you know he's in the pool and like these kids are basically like threatening to you know to cut him if he doesn't like stand under water for like five minutes or something. And she basically like you know descends like like sends them straight to hell. Basically, it is a phenomenal phenomenal film. One of the best horror films I've seen. It's 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 very very slow paced, um, but it builds up. It's just I mean, from a cinema, cinematography standpoint, it's absolutely stunning. Perfect horror film. So Let the Right One In. It's a remake of Let Me In. Or, I got that backwards. Let Me In and Let the Right One In. If you guys still haven't seen it, I think it's still on Netflix. And it's just a, it is a perfect, perfect horror film. So that's my number two. Okay. So my number two is, I'm actually a little bit surprised this hasn't come up yet in yours. There's been, there hasn't been any crossover to it. But maybe maybe it'll be your number one. There's a good chance. It's The Thing from 1982. Um, it's a remake of The Thing from Another World from 52, directed by John Carpenter. It was also remade again in like 2011. But you got to stay away from that one. The, the 1982 movie with Kurt Russell, it's the definitive version. You got to be watching it. It's basically about this alien creature that kind of comes down. It takes over the bodies of these guys one by one. There's like this, these, they're like these scientists in in, act, in our Antarctica at the, this research station. So it's kind of like science fiction and horror all rolled up in the one. The special effects were groundbreaking at the time. I believe they still hold up. I like them better than half the CGI crap that's out there now. If you haven't seen it, or if you're a millennial like Yancey that's only seen the crappy 2011 version, go back and watch <laughs> the thing from 1982. That's my number two. On to your number one, Derek. What do you got? My number one is The Thing. Nice. John Carpenter, 1982. I was like, to your point, I'm like, man, nobody's got any of my movies here. I'm so good. I've tried to stay away from movies I thought you might have, Chris. We mention this every week, though. Like, Yancey's like, oh, there's going to be a lot of crossover. And there hardly ever is. There's not not a lot. So it's kind of... Very rarely. Very rarely. Yeah, I'm just going to echo what you said. It's fantastic. It was... I remember this being one of the first movies I saw on video in the early 80s when my parents got a VCR. This was one of the very first movies they rented because it was restricted as a young kid. Obviously, I wasn't going to go to the theater to see it, but my parents knew that I could handle you know, mature things like this at, at a younger age. I remember watching it with my grandfather and loving every minute of it. And I can remember after the movie finished, he and I talked about like, well, what do you think happened after the movie ended? Because that's a big – there's this – in big thing about what actually is going on there's because they're, 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 uh, they're sharing the bottle of scotch aren't they at the end and, the, and debating whether well, or not one is the other is or, the, the, so a little bit of a spoiler then for if you haven't seen it is there's two guys sharing a bottle of scotch and they're both suspicious is yes one of the other guys the alien or have they killed all the aliens and are they both safe and it just basically they each take a drink and it fades to black now one of the hotly contested uh, uh, interpretations is the main character, Kurt Russell, 
all in every scene previously when there have been drinking, he would drink first and then pass the, the flask or pass the bottle. In this scene, he does not drink first. He literally passes the bottle and the other guy drinks. The, the, the theory is that this is not actually alcohol. It's gasoline because they've been making Molotov cocktails because the creature is vulnerable to fire. Uh-huh. So the popular belief is this is the last of the Molotov cocktails. He hands it to the other guy and when he drinks it and doesn't go and doesn't spit it out, it's because it's the alien and the alien doesn't understand that this is not something that he should be drinking. Whether or not that's what's happening, it's not clear. It's an ambiguous ending, interpret it as you will. But I can remember as a young kid watching this movie, being blown away by how great it was, and then having this conversation with my grandfather about what do you think and how did you like this and what do you think happened here. Uh, The movie is a great movie in and of itself, but I have strong personal memories of it. It is absolutely my number one remake without any doubt. Good, good movie. Yancey, what do you got for number one? Well, you guys over here having like a little best friends party. I'm like feeling all left out and stuff. (laughs) Sorry, brother. (laughs) It's okay. Uh, Number one for me is actually another Peter Jackson film, and it also has Andy Serkis in it, which is just so strange how that works sometimes. Um, So the original was released in 1933, and Rotten Tomatoes named it as its greatest horror film of all time. Uh, The original starred... Let me see if I have it here. Faye Ray, Faye Bruce Ray. Cabot, yep. Robert nice. Armstrong. So yep. that was obviously King Kong. Yep. Uh, the newest version came out in 2005, and it starred Jack Black, the very, very lovely Naomi Watts, Adrian Brody, Kyle Chandler, and like I said, Andy Serkis. Um, it is it is kind of the same movie, but it's also an entirely different movie. The original King Kong, I watched it in high school, and yes, obviously, you know, the special effects weren't to the level that we're used to today, but... Even still, it is an incredible film that holds up, what, 80 years later, 90 years later? Math is really hard. I don't know how many years later it is. Um, but it, it was a fantastic film then. And then the, the 2005 version starring Jack Black, it is a very long film. It's three hours and seven minutes long. Um, and I, it has, you know, critically, it had very nice reviews. Um, from a public perspective, it was a little mixed. Um, and a lot of people thought that it was too long, that it dragged on, that there were parts in it that could have been completely cut out and the outcome would have been completely the same, which I, I can understand that. But um, it's basically King Kong, but set on an island, like this weird island, and there are natives who are crazy as hell, and there are dinosaurs, and there are giant human-eating insects. There's all kinds of things going on. It's 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 like a perfect twist on it where it adds to it, but the the heart of the story is still the same, and it's just and it's absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember like my favorite specific scenes. This is probably like whenever they're on the beach and like he's just trying to he, Jack Black's character is telling Naomi Watts to you know scream, scream, and then of course all of a sudden you hear like this monster roar. And, like, their whole goal switches from, like, you know, making, like, this really casual shot on the beach of her as, like, the damsel in distress to, like, they're going to go pursue this monster. And then, of course, you know, she ends up getting captured and, you know, taken off the ship and stuff. And there's all kinds of, you know, problems that ensue. But it's just, man, it's just such a cool freaking movie. I think the dinosaurs may have been a little much. I'm not going to lie. There were dinosaurs in the original. Well, true, but I mean, this was supposed to be like further out. Like, I, I think if you were going by like the, the time setting, I guess it it kind of makes sense. No, I, I I agree with you. Actually, I think the dinosaur scene in, in the remake was was over the top, and it was yeah. it didn't really belong. It, it, it was, it was like, there was a dinosaur scene in the original film, but uh, the only thing for me was and not that again. You're you know you're saying caveman and I are like you know have best <laughs> friends here. Where it's not that I'm ganging up on you. And, but the thing is, I love the old stuff, right? I think the 1933 movie King Kong is one of the greatest films ever made, hands down. 
No questions asked. I think it even holds up today. The, the problem I had with the remake was I felt that Jack Black and Adrian Brody were miscast in that movie. Agreed. Grossly miscast. Naomi Watts, on the other hand, I thought I actually felt she should have received some consideration for an Oscar. I thought she was I thought that she was awesome. She was phenomenal in that. Um, Yancey, did you know that they also remade that movie back in the 70s? It was around 78, I think it was. Dino De Laurentiis remade it um, with uh, Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange, and it was really, really, really bad. Really bad. Like, <laughs> was it was, it, yeah, it's oh, the it 1976 it was remade. 76, sorry. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was awesome. And they actually have a new version of it, uh, with Kong Skull Island slated for a 2017. Yeah, I see that. So they're going to make another movie coming out this year sometime too. So I just think it's a it's a fantastic movie. You're possibly right about the whole Brody and Jack Black casting. I remember watching this movie and being like Jack Black. Yeah. But like I like the whole time I was kind of like rooting for him. You know what I mean? Like oh look, like he's trying to be a serious actor, and it was almost like distracting. You know what I mean? Like you, you ever see the, characters or actors who are, they're so typecast, and whenever mm. anytime they try to break right. away and do something different, it's just weird. Well, don't worry you about it. I mean? In the in the one that came out in '76, his character was played by Charles Grodin. So you know, don't worry. <laughs> I mean, again, you know, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I I don't know. I, I agree. I think it was. I think it was like visually. I think it was a great. Look, the thing that got me with the original was that it was this perfect blend of a story and special effects that I, regardless, I think still hold up in terms of movie. It, to me, that is movie magic when I think of 1933 King Kong. Word. You know, that's me, though. Okay, so my number one, <clears throat> Heaven Can Wait from 1979. I love this movie. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. It's based on the 1941 movie Here Comes Mr. Jordan with uh, Robert Montgomery and Claude Rains. So the character of Joe Pendleton remained in this version. Uh, they just changed him from being a boxer into being a quarterback for the LA Rams. And he's out riding his bicycle one day. He goes into a tunnel and he gets hit by a truck and he's killed. But then he gets up to the pearly gates and he's getting ready to Spoiler. go. Spoiler. Yeah, he gets goes into heaven, but it turns out it wasn't his time to die because his guardian angel, the one and only Buck Henry, uh, took him out of his body just a few seconds early because he wanted to spare him the pain of the crash, right? But it turns out, you know, the guy is a professional athlete. He had amazing reflexes. He would have swerved at the last second and he would have avoided the crash. So they decide, oh, you got to get him back down to earth and you got to put him back in his body. But his body had been cremated so they had to find another body for him to put him put him in and he ends up in the body of this like older rich guy that's like a total jerk but then you know he takes over the body and he ends up buying the rams so that he can be the quarterback it sounds insane but it's it does it's an incredible incredible movie and don't just take my word for it yancy the movie was nominated for nine academy awards in 1978 including best picture best director best actor um it took home an award for best art direction and it's not just this like broad comedy although it's it's got really really funny parts in it it's just a really really great movie it's it's one of my all-time favorites and it's definitely my favorite remake of all time so there we go guys we made it through and there was like nice. only one crossover really good job anyway all right um well anyway are you guys ready now to have some fun with yancey absolutely okay so we decided we're going to do something a little bit different this week so derek felt it would be fun to turn the tables a little bit and ask me some questions this week <laughs> uh usually obviously i like to mess with the millennial but this week it's me in the hot seat so derek uh, you put together some uh, some trivia questions for me this week i did i got a few questions uh i think uh a couple of these we actually may have talked about in our list so they might be easier maybe, now. hold on maybe yeah. i better open a beer for this and and yeah no kidding <laughs> actually before we go on to that i just want to have a quick honorable mention to a movie that didn't quite make my list it is unforgiven 
Now, you're thinking, Unforgiven, that was a remake? No, I'm not talking about the Clint Eastwood version. Mm -hmm. There was a remake of the Clint Eastwood version of Unforgiven done in 2013. It's a Japanese film starring Ken Watanabe. Uh, It is outstanding. You've got a lot of old Japanese movies that were remade into Westerns. Here's one where the table's been turned. If you are even a mild fan of the Clint Eastwood Unforgiven movie from the 90s, you have to do yourself a service and find a copy of Unforgiven from 2013. It is amazing. I will definitely take a look. All right. Okay. On to the questions. Here we go. We're going to start you with an easy one, Chris. Okay. Go easy. In what? Okay. Ready? <laughs> yep. In what movie remake does James Bond fill Steve McQueen's shoes? I don't. I don't know. Yancy, any guess? Of course not. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. (laughs) The answer is The Thomas Crown Affair. In 1968, Steve McQueen was in the original, and in 1999, Pierce Brosnan. Oh, Pierce Brosnan. Oh, okay, okay. See, but you got to remember, I got to remember, I'm a Gen Xer. My my James Bond is Roger Moore. So this is why I I couldn't get it. All right. Okay. Good Good one. Good one, though. Okay, here's here's another one. All right. They're going to get a little they're going to get a little harder as we go. Just just warning you here. All All right. right. Question number two. Over a dozen of this iconic filmmaker's movies have been remade, including a remake he did of one of his own movies. Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock and his movie that he remade was Blackmail. It was originally a black, it was originally a silent film. Uh, he also remade um, the 39 Oh crap, steps. I didn't write it down. The 39 it was Steps. The, the Man Who Knew Too Much? No, I think it was The 39 Steps. But anyway, Yep. Anyway, Hitchcock. Yeah, yep. yeah, I was looking it up. Hitchcock, like something like fifteen or eighteen yep. of his movies have either been remade. Have or you re- seen the remake though of Psycho that they did with Vince Vaughn? It was horrific. Oh. They tried to do it shot by shot. It was terrible. Yeah, oh, I knew enough awful. not to watch it. It yeah. just looked bad. All right. Okay. So you got that one. So you're uh, you're one good Ooh. and one bad. Okay. Ooh. Question number three. Yep. Uh, what 2009 yep. Tony Scott film uh, star? Uh, pardon me. What 2009 Tony Scott film remake starred Denzel Washington? in the role that was originally played by Walter Matthau. I know it. Okay, Yancey, take it. Is it Telltale? It is not. Any mm. other guesses? The remake also starred John Travolta. Oh, it's the one with the bus. Close. He's a bus driver. Subway. Oh, it was the, the Taking of Pelham 123. Oh, right. Yes. I, I've actually seen that movie, guys. I'm getting, like, so excited right now. All right. Good. Yep. Yancy, good, good for you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. This one's a tough one. In this 1972 film, Michael Caine played the lead role of Milo. In the 2007 remake with the same name, Michael Caine switched roles and played the older lead of Andrew. Can you name the movie? So Michael Caine... So it's basically it, yeah. What, what, what was it's the remake? Two it's two men. Yeah, is it Sleuth? Is it Sleuth? And in the original, he played Milo. And yes, when it's they Sleuth, it, right? When Sleuth. He, it's Sleuth. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. There you yeah. go. Yeah. All right. This one. This one's still gonna, a little bit of a head scratch. This is my last one here. Okay. In two in two thousand and one, Steven Soderbergh remade the classic Frank Sinatra heist movie Ocean's Eleven. Yes, he did. How many of the new eleven? Are Oscar nominees, or or Oscar winners for that matter? Oscar winners from from, from the from the new one. Okay, so George Clooney yeah. won an Oscar, right? Um, winners or nominees of uh, the eleven? Yep. So uh, Clooney, Brad Pitt yep. was nominated for an Academy Award. 
Was Elliot Gould nominated for MASH? He was nominated, but not for MASH. He okay. was nominated for Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Uh, Casey Affleck, definitely. Yep. He's nominated this year, right? Um, who else was it there? Um, Carl Reiner. Would, would Carl Reiner count? Was he? Carl Reiner was one of the 11. He was never nominated for an Oscar. Okay, well, Matt Damon was definitely an uh, Academy Award winner with uh, yep. Good Will Hunting, you know, for his screenplay. So he counts. Um, Andy Garcia, was he nominated? Julia, Julia Roberts definitely okay. was, right? Yeah. Like, Andy Garcia and Julia Roberts were uh, – Garcia was nominated. Julia Roberts won. I'm not counting them as part of the 11. Oh, okay. So, so that that's about all I can think of. You've got five so far. you got George Clooney, Brad Pitt, okay. Elliot Gould, Casey Affleck, Matt Damon. Can you think of any others or are you good with five? That's all I can think of off the top of my head. So Pretty good. You missed one. You missed Don Cheadle who was nominated oh, for right. Hotel Rwanda. Oh, yes, that's right, yep. for Hotel Rwanda. Oh, yep. good one. Nice so, job, Chris. Thank you. I, I did my best. Yeah, I was like, oh man, maybe these are too tough. But I'm like, yeah. no, that one needs to be good. No. Um, I actually forgot that Casey Affleck had been nominated for the assassination of Jesse James, uh, in addition to his recent nomination for Manchester for by Manchester the by the Sea. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. So I tell you what. Before we wrap things up, I got a question for you guys. If you could see one movie get remade, any movie of yours, you know, that you're, a favorite of yours, past, you know, what would be the one movie that you would like to see get remade that has not been remade? Derek, I'll start with you. All right. I've been giving this some thought because I figured you might ask me. Sorry this. to put you on the spot. Yeah. No, not, not not putting me on the spot at all. Now, a lot of the remakes we've talked about have been remade maybe because the original wasn't that good or the technology has improved and they can, they can do something better with it. I would like to see a really great movie that I love remade, not because there's anything wrong with the original, but just because I want to see how they would change it for today. And that is the comedy Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Hmm. I want to see how that works and comes together in a way that makes sense in today's society with social media and everybody on the phones and 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 I, like I maybe you couldn't do it maybe it's not worth even trying but I think if there was a way to pull it off that movie would be just as good today as it was back in the 80s. God, because that movie was really all about charisma of the lead characters, of the lead actors, and and to be able to get somebody that could pull off what Matthew Broderick did, and and oh man, I don't even, even um, what's his name, Ruck, oh man, that'd be tough to pull off, I think, because it's all it about would. the chemistry, but, but I think it's a good one. Yancey, do you have any movies you'd like to see remade? The second and third parts of the Matrix trilogy. The first one. Oh, that's so a good, good one, actually, because the first the one was so good. The second and third are just so, so bad. bad. Yeah, They're that's so, a good so bad. One. Yeah, for me, I think I would say Xanadu. Um, but it was it was like perfect the first time around. So I mean, you know, why mess with that? Um, Derek actually and I have had this conversation before about what movie I'd like to see remake, and um, and he was saying, hey, but wouldn't you like to see the Fish That Saved Pittsburgh remade? But you know, I I got to say no because that's like repainting the Mona Lisa. You know, um, I remember there was talk a couple of years ago that they were going to maybe remake Revenge of the Nerds. And I swear, if they mess with that movie, I'm going to revolt. I'm not going to be very happy. Uh, maybe Break into Electric Boogaloo. Maybe I'd like to see that one. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. You know what? I, I, I will say this. I, I wouldn't be surprised if All the President's Men gets remade, just with a different kind of break-in at the DNC. As long as the yep. endings is going to be the same, I'll tell you what. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think generally, though, I don't think I want to see any movies remade because, you know, my role here, you know, I'm a stickler. I like the old stuff. I'm, I'm into nostalgia. I want to see Hollywood come up with new and fresh ideas and just don't touch any of my favorites from the 70s and 80s. Just leave them alone. You know, that's what I got to say. Um, 
Good answer. Thank Good you. answer. Thank you very much. There we go. All right. Derek, you want to come back sometime and join us again? You know what I think would be neat? If you'd come back and join us sometime and we talked about foreign films. Because I think you probably share my love of foreign films. You and I have known each other for a long time. We've shared our love of movies together. You know, I'm a foreign film fanatic, especially the older stuff. So would you ever want to come back and join us and do a foreign film? Absolutely. Absolutely, oh, I'd love to. And I, I, I take in the Toronto International Film Festival here in Toronto every year. I've been you you have for yeah now. forever. And yeah. every single year, I get a, a you know probably half of my movies end up being foreign films. A lot of which never see the light of day in North America. So I would love to come back and talk about that or any other topic you'd have me for. Absolutely, we'll definitely have you back, uh, Yancy. Anything that you want to mention? Uh, parting shots before we go? Um, I don't think so. This was a lot of fun. I obviously didn't know Derek before we did the show, so it was kind of like an unknown bringing somebody else onto the show. But dude. I really think you handled your own. Like, yeah, oh, Derek's awesome. Very, very man. impressed with your responses, and you're obviously you have like a voice for radio. You don't sound like you're 12 years old like I do. So, <laughs> so there's always that. <laughs> it was a lot of fun having you on. Seriously. Well, we'll definitely have him back. For having... That's for sure. Thanks we'll for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, we appreciate you being here. Hey, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you can reach us at Yancey Eaton or at C McBrien. Just remember, McBrien is I E N. Can we shoot us an email, Chris or Yancey at popgoesyourworld.com? For Yancey Eaton, this is Chris McBrien saying. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 